You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Gino looks, going to lay it up over the top. Got a man out there. It is locking. He has got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. Is it finally time for football? Is it, it is. is it football season for There's real a this time? Real football game tonight. There's a Seahawks game in a couple of days. It's exciting. Lee. I know. It's football season. I know. John Boyle from Seahawks.com sharing most of my excitement, but maybe just one or two notches. It's below. hard to match your level, Jen. Well, that's you know, that's uh, that is what a lot of people say. I'm a little over the top on a few I things. I didn't say that. But you know it was implied, but you know. I am also over the top on the Seahawks team. And again, maybe it's recency bias. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What we saw from the Seahawks in the preseason was really encouraging. But, John, I think just seeing some of these guys back on the field ahead of week one, equally encouraging because now you can start to see how all these pieces fit together. Yeah, you know, obviously there's a lot of tension on Jackson Smith and Jigba being back because he was great in the preseason and he's going to be a big part of offense. But to me, what is maybe even a bigger thing is all the pieces on defense we've seen come back to practice this week. You've gotten Daryl Taylor back out there. You got Mike Morris back out there, Cam Young back out there, where for a while it's like, who do they have the depth they need up front? And you're going to feel a lot better about it if all those guys are available. That's for sure. We are going to dive into the matchup against the Rams, which is interesting for a number of reasons because of new pieces on both sides of this mm-hmm. matchup. But before that, a division opponent right out of the gate, well, that is a big enough challenge. But then you throw in the fact that it's week one, and, well, that's got its own set of challenges. Part of the, the, the issue is that not everybody's played a lot. You know, there's not a lot of football. They haven't played their guys, and we haven't played our guys a lot. So uh, it's just getting out there and getting going. You know, if you remember the first preseason game, we tackled, you know, for garbage in the first quarter. And then we got going, and everything w- was okay from that point after that. But you got to get going. And so um, both teams were faced with the same thing in that regard. So it's kind of even. You know, I always go back to the college days. You never had any preseason games. You, know, you just played, and, you know, you go against a great matchup, and you'd expect everybody to play really good. Well, that's what we're doing here, too. Yeah, I feel like a game like this is kind of all about your own fundamentals and doing what you do well. Because, look, especially when you look at that Rams defense, like this is almost, you know, Aaron Donald's been around forever and he's incredible. But beyond that, it's like almost an entirely new defense. And and when those guys don't all play together the whole preseason, you don't have a lot to go off of. So you're looking at, you know, their scheme and you know you got to stop 99. But otherwise, it's more about, hey, let's do what we do well, function at a high level and make them stop us. Well, and that's what Geno Smith said this week. He was mm-hmm. like, look, they still have the same defensive coordinator. Yeah. They still have the same play caller. You go back to principles. They are going to run the same things. Although I would say the Seahawks played the Rams late in the year where we're not even talking about um, different personnel. There were so many injuries for the Rams across the board that I think you're going to go back even a couple of more years on that one. It's not just the matchups from last year. No, for sure. I mean, that's with these division or I don't like to say division rivals because Pete Carroll likes to treat every game the same. But with division matchups, you uh, you have a lot to go off of in terms of knowledge of the other team because you're playing so often. So, yeah, I mean, they'll they'll be prepared, but there's also going to be an element of mystery for sure. But you also have a little bit of an edge with Bobby Wagner. Back. Oh, for sure. I mean, that is one of the pieces. Yeah that the Rams are sorely going to miss. He was their leading tackler last year. And uh, I thought it was interesting to hear him talk about what kind of a chess match it's going to be. 
And also, Quandre Diggs has a chess match going on. Always. There's a lot of chess matches yes. going on during a football game on Sunday. That is a lot of chess. That's violent, <laughs> violent chess. That's a lot of chess. But having Bobby Wagner back, we know how much he means here in Seattle. And for Pete Carroll, certainly it is special to have 54 back in the middle of the defense. I didn't find it difficult. It was just kind of trying because, you know, there was a time when we were negotiating and figuring it out and, and he's on his way and he's going. And remember, he was representing himself, which made it extremely personal and difficult, but he did a, a great job handling it and, and did on his return to us. Really, there was no rough spots. There wasn't any rough spots and there wasn't any discomfort or anything like that other than just disappointed, you know, that we're not still doing it. But the reward now to come back and get another chance to finish this thing together and all that is, I mean, together meaning with the club and all of that, it, it's it's very special. And so um, we'll hope Hopefully we'll manage it really well and he'll play great football and we'll do some great things. It is it's it seems so like a natural easy fit now that Bobby's Wag, Wagner is back here. It is easy to overlook like when he got released by this team in March, you would have thought like okay, and he even said this, Bobby did like he didn't think this was gonna that just come back around. Like they released him for money reasons and he was obviously not thrilled about it and went and signed with a division rival and like you think, okay, that was a great career in Seattle, now he's on to the next chapter. So for them to be able to just right away make it good. And I, I think that speaks a lot to what Pete and John have built here that like those relationships go, are deep enough that it can survive a little, you know, tough business decision. And he's right back here in the middle of this defense leading the team. And it just feels perfect. You know, what else was a little bit overlooked is that when he re-signed here in Seattle, it was not clear that he was going to be calling the defense necessarily or having the same role that he had, right? There was a little bit of question yeah. of, well, does he get used the same way? Or are they going to take him off the field? And look, we have to see how the season plays out. But it was not assumed that he would pick up exactly where he left off either. Yeah, both from a, you know, a role on the field standpoint, but also leadership-wise. And I, you know, Bobby Wagner's even talked about this. He kind of came in a little bit trying to defer of like these guys, you know, Jordan Brooks, Quandre Diggs, Al Woods isn't here anymore, but Al Woods last year, these guys stepped up, became leaders without me. He didn't want to come back in and step on toes and just assume it was his defense. As Pete Carroll said yesterday, like these guys all know who the man is. You know, he's Bobby Wagner. They can't help but look up to him. But I do think it helped a lot of those other guys maybe having a year away from him to just sort of grow as players and leaders. Well, and I think the question that you asked to either Gino or Quandre about the number of yeah. captains the Seahawks had, I thought that was really insightful oh, on thank your you, part. Jen. But I have also, my moments. <laughs> something about a clock being right twice a day or something. Well, you can restate what that was, but the Seahawks have more captains than they've ever had in yeah. the Pete Carroll era. Yeah, you go back and look at every year in the Pete Carroll era, it's been either three guys, one offense, one defense, one special teams, or sometimes four where you'd have a, you know, Bobby Wagner and Cam Chancellor one year, both defensive captains, things like that. But for a long time, it was basically Bobby Russ and special teams, Bobby Russ and special teams. And I think those guys both leaving at the same time really changed the dynamic in the locker room of you had these just two huge hall of fame presences. They're both gone. And now guys like Tyler Lockett, we heard the stories last year about him giving speeches in a way he never did. Even young guys like DK Metcalf, Will Disley's always been a leader, but he kind of stepped in that role. And then same thing on defense with a lot of guys. So it was just sort of this shift in dynamic that now Bobby's coming back into where yes, he's the guy in this defense. He's the hall of famer, but it's not necessarily just his voice anymore. He's kind of allowed it. To, he's come back in and kind of tried to allow other guys to lead with him. Well, and he has actually changed where he is in the locker yeah, room, which has. is a little disconcerting to me. But as Bobby said, he upgraded to the corner office. It is a nice spot. It is he's a got nice that spot. Veteran empty locker next to him. 
There's an empty locker. So for fans, if you can picture this, the Seahawks locker room is this huge rectangle open room. And for years, along one of the long sides of that rectangle, Bobby was right in the middle. It was yeah. right in the middle of where all the linebackers sat. And now they've switched it up. So position groups no longer sit next to each other. I think that's a, a uh, that residual a, effect from COVID. COVID. Yeah, it was a COVID But thing, they have though. decided to keep it that way so that they can interact with guys they would not normally be in meetings with. But now he has moved to the spot that Will Disley used to have. And I believe Jimmy Graham had that spot. Yeah, it's always been kind of like tight a tight end, end corner. corner. Yeah, Luke Wilson so, was always back yeah, there. So Will Disley agreed to move his locker a couple over so that Bobby gets there's just two lockers right there, right at the entrance to the locker room. That's Bobby's. And he told me today that what he really likes is the maturity in that corner. Now, let me point out that the closest teammate way of calling Nick Ballor old. Well, Nick Ballore immediately looked at me and was like, I don't know that maturity is the right (laughs) word for this corner. Um, I said experience. Yes, that might be more accurate. Nick, Nick Fuller is a, a kid at heart. That's right. We we jest because Nick Fuller is. As a side note, I do like Nick Fuller for the second year in a row told me that they must have just sorted the roster by age when they voted on yeah. captains. And that's how he got it. It's like, <laughs> you know, you can, you can if you click on the roster, you can click on age and it'll just sort for you. So. He figures that's how he got to be a captain. That's they just, just pick, by default, they just, just the oldest guy. guy. The yeah. oldest guy always gets in by default, huh? <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. When it comes to this defense, though, look, we know that Bobby is going to play a big role. But what we also know is that the defense needs to be better at stopping the run. And right out of the gates, they're going to be facing Cam Akers. He finished his season with three straight 100-yard rushing games. One of those came against Seattle. He had some pretty good success there. I know that we did not see the full complement of players in the preseason. Here's what Pete Carroll expects the defense to look like. I'm expecting us to play uh, better all around. And that, that starts with how we leverage the football and how we contain the, the, the game, passing and run on the edges. The consistency that we stay with, with our fits in the running game. I just want to get better in all phases. But the, I'm really, and have hit it from the very first day, about the overall of the basics of the game. And that's playing really good force and containment and leverage and uh, and staying on top and keeping the ball underneath us and all those kinds of things that make people work really hard and not give away anything. So um, we, we hope to be very aggressive with that still with that thought in mind, but that's where the focus has been. The changes have been subtle and like your casual fan would probably not even notice them. I honestly don't notice it from play to play all the time, but they are doing some things differently up front. You, you even saw it in the preseason with different personnel where look, these aren't the starters out there, but the scheme was making a difference. They were holding teams to way fewer yards, yards per carry. And Pete Carroll talked about that after that first preseason game, I think it was like 3.2 yards of carry and he saw things he liked out of that. So, I mean, the personnel changed a lot up front, and they're counting on those guys, Draymond Jones, Mario Edwards, and obviously Jaron Reed to make a big difference. But I do think they did just a little bit of tinkering up front that Pete Carroll's going to expect to make a big difference in how they contain the run. It is interesting to listen to Pete. I have sat in on any number of press conferences and meetings with Pete during the preseason, and the number of times that he has mentioned leverage, contain, mm-hmm. force, and fundamentals. I mean, it comes up in every single conversation. I mean, it, it had to kill. I mean, we, we've heard him talk about defense forever, and his two things are don't give up big plays and you got to stop the run. It had to kill Pete Carroll to see teams running on them like they were at times last year. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's just been a huge area of focus for him and Clint and that whole staff of fixing those little things and, you know, all the, the contain issues 
getting that right so you're not letting these big runs spill out. Well, and I have to think that that's where the Rams are going to go. I have to think that the Rams are going to test that run defense early, especially if you don't have Cooper Cup. Now, I realize here's the one thing that gets overlooked in the conversation about Cooper Cup. It's not that the Rams are trying to figure out life without Cooper Cup. He has not been at practice or playing this preseason. So mm-hmm. they have already figured this out, right? Like this is not a last minute change for them. Yeah. They have their plan in place. I, I get that they've got speedsters at wideout, but I got to think they just go to acres and see it, see what they can get against that defense. Right. I mean, I would, if I'm you know, luckily for the Rams, I'm not their coach, but if I were, calling, <laughs> they would, they got a pretty good one. Actually, serious <laughs> that'd be quite a downgrade, but I mean, I think just about anyone would look at, you know, you have a proven back in acres. You have the questions they have at receiver and you have a defense that was 30th in the league and run defense last year. Like make them show they've fixed it, make them show they can stop it. And then if they have you adjust, but I, you know, I know the Seahawks think they've fixed it, but still, if I'm the Rams, I want to see, make them show it. Well, and the Rams want to prove something too, because with all of the injuries and a very disappointing season, they were at the bottom of just about every offensive statistical category last year. Now, The Seahawks didn't face Matthew Stafford because he was hurt. We mentioned the number of injuries, but it is one of those don't get caught looking at last year's numbers or or don't get caught looking at at where your strengths are uh, and overlook the fact that they've had some time to tinker and make some improvements. Oh, for sure. And look, Sean McVay is a great coach. He's going to have that team ready, even if it's not the team that fans will recognize from past years. And look, last year when they were, you know, at the bottom of a lot of these statistical categories and winning five games, they push the Seahawks to the brink twice. So I don't think anyone in that Seahawks locker room is like, oh, we got this. You know, they're they're a bad team and like that. Like they're going to look at how hard they had to work for both those wins last year and know that they're going to have their work cut out for them again. You know, we are trying to break down the matchups and figure out what the Seahawks are going to do against the Rams. If you are setting your lineup for the first week in your fantasy football league, well, I tell you what, Scott Engel, our fantasy insider, has some insights for you. Thanks, Jen and John. And we get you ready for your tough Week one lineup decisions in the first matchup of your fantasy football season for 2023. And of course, we have to open with a Seahawk. Geno Smith finishes fantasy QB5 last year. He gets a good matchup against the Los Angeles pass defense, and he may now have the best wide receiver trio in the NFL with Jackson Smith Najigba joining DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. He should put up good fantasy numbers in the opener. He's a top 10 fantasy quarterback for week one. Also, strongly consider streaming Kirk Cousins. He ranked fourth in the league last year with 4,547 passing yards and tied for fifth with 29 touchdown passes. He will put points on the board against Tampa Bay. And running back, I like J.K. Dobbins against the Houston Texans. Last year, he finished strong, averaging 92 yards per game in the final five games of the season, including the playoffs. Brian Robinson gets a good matchup as the Washington Commanders face the Arizona Cardinals. He could get in the end zone more than once. The Chargers and the Dolphins will have a high-scoring affair. Look for Raheem Mostert to get involved. He averaged nearly five yards per carry last season, and he's healthy to open the year. Also, Zach Charbonnet for the Seahawks. He will get maybe some touchdown opportunities and chances to catch passes out of the backfield against the Rams. Back to that Dolphins-Chargers game. I like Mike Williams a lot as a start this week. He led the Chargers with 895 receiving yards last season. 
and he will have opportunities to make splash plays against the Dolphins. Michael Pittman Jr., last time he saw the Jacksonville Jaguars, he set career high in receptions with 13 and receiving yards with 134. Jacoby Myers in his debut with the Raiders, somebody to consider if you're looking for that deeper wide receiver. He had a career high six touchdown receptions in 2022 and might have more promise playing for the Raiders this year. Of course, we mentioned Jackson Smith, the Jigba. Don't forget about him. He should get strong flex consideration as he is ready to go for his NFL debut. At tight end, Jawan Johnson burst on the fantasy scene with seven touchdown receptions last season and the Saints get a quarterback upgrade with Derek Carr and also the Jets defense seems scary to face for fantasy players but Dalton Kincaid has more upside than most rookies so don't hesitate to start him if you waited to draft a tight end and landed with the promising rookie Make sure to check the Seahawks Fantasy Insider page for more picks for week one. And also check me out at thegameday.com and rotoballer.com for my weekly lineup rankings. Back to you, Jen and John. Thank you, Scott. So if we flip this around and we start looking at the Seahawks offense. Yes. I thought it was interesting to hear Geno Smith say this week that he does not set any statistical goals for himself over the course of the season. Yeah. I mean, I like it. I think, you know, for a lot of these guys, it's if there's a if there's a number in mind, it's wins. And how do you you know, how do you get the championship? It, along those lines, Quandre Diggs had a line about like you do that and the other stuff take care of itself. So, yeah. look, if if the Seahawks go out and do what they want to do and win the division, that means, you know, Smith's individual numbers are going to look pretty damn good. I think what I was thinking of is his completion percentage from last year. There's a few numbers that you're not really looking at total yards, right? You're not looking at total yards or touchdowns, but there are a few numbers that the Seahawks no point to success. And after that completion percentage, or maybe it's completions uh, on shorter distances or explosives, I thought maybe there would be a number that he was targeting, but I know the coaching staff has their own set of metrics that they're looking at. I just thought that was interesting and we should be not surprised at all that Pete Carroll is uh, feeling pretty good about Gino in his second year at the helm. He had a terrific camp. He, he, he prepared for it just like he was playing games, you know, and, and so that when he got on the field, the decision making and the choices and the speed of his, of his choices and his ability to control the front and all of that was just in such great command that it was just obvious that he's ready to go. And he really he just had to kind of wait out camp and wait out the preseason and to get to it. So uh, I, I we walked in down the hall this morning together and the two of us are you know kind of just it's just as fun as it gets you know and and uh want to make sure we, we don't screw it up by having too much uh too much lighthearted about it because we want to do really well and so uh he's ready to go i will say talking to Gino smith separate from his press conference today he didn't mention specific numbers but one thing he pointed to was turnovers which you know 11 interceptions doesn't seem like a bad number but to him that wasn't good enough he felt like he can cut that down and you know 30 touchdowns to 11 interceptions most teams would take that but if he can get that number even lower that would that would be great for this offense i think some of those were the timing of those interceptions that that uh proved to be more costly than had they been at other spots on the field or at uh, a different time of the game you talk about being fundamentally sound you know who's got to be fundamentally sound this week you I mean, maybe. Oh, that was already. Now I'm panicking. Do I need to be fundamentally sound? Am I not fundamentally sound? No, I was thinking about Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. They did not. That would be more significant. That would, well, 
Yes. I mean, my look, the sideline reports are important, but my protecting your can be a little sloppy and the quarterback doesn't get hurt. Right. But uh, Aaron Donald, we mentioned it, did not play against the Seahawks last year. And I was talking to both of those guys today and and Abe goes, yeah, you know, there it is very rare that you can say this guy is the best in the game ever in the history of the game mm-hmm. at what he does. And you don't run into those guys often. Yeah. I'm like, Abe, you're going to run into them literally Several an awful times. lot on Sunday. Yes. he. Yeah. I mean, look, the part of what, I mean, a big thing that makes Aaron Donald so good is he's just a great player. But part of what makes him even more difficult is how many different ways yes. he can line up. I mean, you, when you say the tackles, I think some people are like, oh, he's a defensive tackle. They yeah. don't need to worry about it. No, they no. do. Because he'll go out and play it end. He'll play, you know, kind of a wide shaded guard where he's, splitting the guard and the tackle he'll go all, all over the place so really it's it's a five person and really more because you count the tight ends and running backs it's it's a good chunk of that offense that has to account for aaron donald to keep this offense from just kind of getting ruined by one guy and as a result you have got to get the ball out on time mm-hmm. i mean you cannot have any hesitation on that and i realize that he doesn't have some of his former teammates that are there that made that line just extremely daunting all the way through but having Jackson Smith and Jigba back, oh, we talked about it and we kind of glossed over it because I knew we were going to get more into the matchups. Were you surprised at all when Pete said that this week? A little bit. How definitive he was. Yeah. I, mean, I think when we saw him come back last week and start practicing, you're like, okay, he's got a shot. But for Pete Carroll to just kind of come out on Wednesday and be like, yeah, he's playing. It's like, wow, that's... I think we've talked about this before, but like we almost build in like a buffer between Pete Carroll's optimistic expectations and reality when it comes to injuries. And I don't think, look, I'm not saying like Pete Carroll lies to us about injuries. I think he is just such an optimistic human being that he clings to the best case scenario and shoots for that and then lives with it if it's not the case. So when he said, I think after when the injury first happened, he said, you know, potentially three weeks or so, which was right around now, you thought, ah, now he's going to miss a game or two and then you'll get him back. Great. So, yeah, it was definitely surprising to me that he was back, not just practicing, but looking like he's pretty full go and that Pete's declared him ready to play. And his teammates didn't seem to be surprised at all. No. Like the, the guys that saw him working behind the scenes, they have done nothing but praise him and said, yeah, it was evident like from day one when he got back from the surgery, that this is what he was targeting. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's just had that mentality from the second the injury happened. Like, okay. Kind of, I mean, similar to Tyler Lockett last yep. year of like, okay, he broke his hand. He needs surgery. How long is he going to be out? And he's like, no, I you don't, know, I think what he missed one game. Right. And he yep. was just right, right back the next week. So yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing what these guys are willing to, to put themselves through to get back out quickly. And it is fun to hear Guys talk about wide receivers on two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? So I'm talking Are we about, going to Bobo? I'm going to Bobo. We haven't talked about Jake Bobo. Everybody wants more Bobo. I thought the comments from the guys this week yeah. were absolutely hysterical. Yeah. And I don't know why, but to see DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in absolute awe on how Jake Bobo manages to get open every time, it just, it made me laugh, first of yeah. all. And then I'm like, how was this even possible? Yeah, was DK said he was texting Tyler, watching the film OTAs, and be like, who's the white guy, number 19, getting open all the time? Like, yes. Yeah, how was he wild. getting open? Don't know. We're still trying to yeah, figure that one out. I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> been a, you know, we'll, we'll see what his role is this week. Like, I don't want to build the hype train up too no. much, but 
my goodness, it's been impressive for an undrafted guy to come in and not just play as well as he is, but clearly like all the intangible stuff, the way he's won over his teammates is is pretty wild. Tyler saying that he was either the number one or number two rookie receiver he had ever worked with that acted and was a pro from day one. Yeah. The other one was DK Metcalf. What if Tyler had gone totally like off brand and been like, the other one was me. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. That's because, you know, I bet other people would say that about I, him. Absolutely. That would be a very untyler Lockett I, statement, but it would have been hilarious. Look, you don't play nine years in the NFL. If, if you didn't that, come yeah. in and act like a pro from exactly. day one, like yeah. that's just kind of the way it works, but it is fun to hear the conversation. And uh, it is really fun to think about a real game taking place on Sunday, which brings us to that was a really bad drum roll. <laughs> maybe maybe NASA can edit one in for us. Can we can we find a drum roll on the internet? That brings us to the two things you need to see for a Seahawks win. I think we've covered both of them a little bit, but one is get the run defense right. Not just, you know, I think it'll help you win this game if you're stopping the run, but I think it can also just help this defense a lot, sort of set the tone of like, okay, last year is last year. We fix those issues. We're going to be back to playing good run defense. And then the other one, I'm just going to go with the really obvious, but just figure out a way to contain Aaron Donald because I just I don't think that defense is, you know, no disrespect to them, but like without Aaron Donald doing damage, I think the Seahawks have enough firepower and offense that they can have a pretty good day. If, however, Aaron Donald does his thing and is getting in the backfield a whole bunch, he can wreck a game pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm going to say run game, but for the Seahawks on offense, we haven't talked about that at all. It's going to be really fun to see the playmakers at wide receiver, but I want to see that run game going. Mm -hmm. I want to see Ken Walker. I want to see Zach Charbonnet run and and set the tone on that side of the ball because it's going to make it so much easier for everybody else. And again, you think about that pass rush. You do not want to give them a chance to get going. So get the yards on the ground. On the other side, I'll stick with run game, and I will actually give a number. I would love to see yards per carry of that run game at like 3.5, 3.7 a carry. That's what I yeah. would like to see. So you can get your yards. We'll make your work for them, but you're not going to rip off long runs. That's yeah, what I'm looking for. Sure. For sure. I mean, there's been years where the Seahawks give up. You know, their rushing yardage isn't great, but you're holding teams a 3.6, 3.8, and that's to me that's more important because if a team wants to run 35 times to get their 100 yards, Go for it, you know, but yeah, it's avoid those big runs we saw last year. Well, that is what we've got for you going into week one. But you know what? We have an entire season of this Seahawks insiders. We will see you next time.